How much do you remember from the last workshop you attended? How much can you apply from the last university course you took? How much money and time did you invest in those workshops and university courses? Welcome to Break the Box, where critical thinking breaks conventional norms. The answers to these questions reside in boxes that restrict our perceptions, thought processes, and decisions. I'm Dr. Ted, your host for the show. Let's go break some boxes. Today on the show, we explore the basis of this podcast and why I named it Break the Box. I will expose the challenge in the commonly used phrase, think outside the box. Now, this is something that most of you have heard from your colleagues, your boss perhaps. In many workplaces, they use the term think outside the box and people tell you to think outside the box. My experience with that, especially early on in my career, was one of a very, very negative experience. So let's start there. Back in the 1997-ish timeframe, I started my tech career in telecom. I was initially hired as a systems analyst. And within a year, I was promoted into a software engineer. And then the year after that, I reached a supervisor position of an engineering team. In that timeframe, I was able to build a software management system that looked at default systems in the entire cellular network for AirTouch. This was a company that was a really, really awesome company to work for. It was bought out by Verizon Wireless later on. But during the time that I was there, I, my network was the best of class cellular network for two consecutive years. And then I went on to build a interactive voice response system a computer system that answered the phone back then that saved the company a lot of money. Now, with all the successes in that company and my rise to getting various positions and projects and building new systems out, I had a new manager towards the third year of my employment there. And the most interesting thing was he would go around talking about, hey, you have to think outside the box. He was constantly using that phrase. Every other meeting, that phrase was being used. It was almost like he just read it off a management book and constantly used it. And then something negative happened in the market. There was going to be a lot of blame that was getting passed down. So he decided, this new director, that who was my boss's boss really, uh, decided to blame it on me. And no matter what happened, how clear the evidence was, the company did not do anything about it, right? So the ethics of the action was extremely challenging, right? I even had emails where specific decisions that was made clearly says he's the one that made the decisions, but yet I was the fall guy for it. I brought this to HR and said, here's the core values that you state very clearly all over the walls, all over the company. They said they couldn't touch it. And then I finally got to the executive director uh, of the, the organization, and he basically told me to get thicker skin if I'm going to survive in corporate America. On that day, I left. Now, the interesting part here is that when I left, 
I was on an accelerated trajectory in corporate America in an IT field where I was extremely successful. But my principles would not allow me to be blamed. So my connotation was a very, very negative one. The phrase, think outside the box, immediately hit a negative core with me as it drew me back into that negative experience. Within today's workplace, the phrase, think outside the box, is often repeated, overused, and unnatural. In the worst of situations, it inadvertently places many people into tenuous situations. When you're told to think outside the box, what do you do with it? How can you really think outside the box? If we really boil that down to the very basics, it's about creativity. Are organizations having development on creativity? Or are you even allowed to be creative within the organizational culture? These are the common questions that gets asked internally when many people hear the phrase, think outside the box. So what happens to you when someone tells you to think outside the box? How does it make you feel? Are you truly empowered to go outside the box within the organization? For me, my first experience was quite challenging. Now, moving forward, in my first doctorate, I began to learn that there are so many management principles that no longer apply in current times, but yet they're constantly being taught. There's a huge box in what is being taught within education, within management principles. The second part in my first doctorate, I learned about systems thinking and how the interconnectedness of human beings within organization is truly the way to look at how human beings exist within organizations and how to lead. And everything that we learned about management theories and principles had some huge flaws and assumptions that people don't tend to critically look at, which allow me to see the limitations of many, many different theories. In my second doctorate in the psychology, I learned a lot about the human brain and how we tend to focus on what's in front of us. We're taught ever since we're little children to solve problems. And then we are always going after looking at different problems, breaking them down and solving problems. One of the greatest skills that everybody always talks about is problem solving skills. Yet I've been challenging people and consulting with different organizations and leaders and asking them, if you get someone that's really good at solving problems, how is that a negative outcome for the company. In many ways, when you look at the pandemic, the pandemic is a great lesson for us because we were really good at solving problems. But in order to solve a problem, we have to have a problem. For most companies, and now even nations in the world, we have a problem that's way too big. It blew up in our face. There are tremendous challenges in how we think how we perceive realities that are contained within a box of thought that people don't seem to think about as often. So as an organizational psychologist, the boxes are your perceptions and thought process and emotions. In this podcast, I hope to break many, many of these so that you have a new reality in front of you, a new way to look at life, a new way to think about something. From my perspective, no box should ever exist. If you believe a box exists that contains your thought in the first place, whether you're going outside that box, it's an incremental change. You're always going to be in some box. We're going to look at some boxes like retirement. 
like the golden rule of respect, like traditional leadership versus management. And more importantly, for this podcast, I'm going to talk about learning because this is the foundation of how we advance as an individual and as a society. What are the boxes within learning that limit us? Now, when we look at the whole aspect of learning, I'm going to break things down in two different ways. Okay. The first is content. Content is what we learn. It's the textbooks, it's the theories, it's the concepts, or it's the colors, right? The context is how we learn it. So context is going to a class, somebody lecturing you, how we transfer that information. That's the how, right? So there are decisions being made in corporate America or even small businesses. That decision itself is the content and the logic behind it. The context is how the decisions are implemented. So if you're telling everybody below you in your company, hey, this is the decision I made, here's a new strategy, go do it. That's one way of doing it. That's the context of the hierarchical structure pushing down a decision. If you're using a collaborative approach, then the context will look very different. I'm going to be talking about using these terms on a regular basis to explore the difference between context and content so that we get a good understanding of the vocabulary I will use later on in the various podcasts. Now, from a learning perspective, there's two very basic principles that's going to be fascinating to explore here. The first is in the realm of content. Most of education is built on a lot of theories and concepts based on behaviorism. Behaviorism basically says the human being is a very simple stimulus reaction entity. You push person, something will push back, almost like physics, right? But the human being is much more complex than a simple set of behaviors. But yet, so many people are trapped in that behaviorism box. So when you look at textbooks, all the books out there in popular media, how many books have leaders talking about what they did to be successful? All of that is behaviorism. When you look at any book of any successful leader, that goes into their story of what they did in that given situation, and they're extremely entertaining. But from a learning perspective, can you really copy the behaviors of another person? Very few people read a book about a successful individual or a company and adapt all those processes to be successful. Okay. Now, the second part of this is more, something that's more on the academic side. On academic research, everything in social science looks at various variables, especially in quantitative research, right? In qualitative research, we look at themes. In quantitative research, we look at variables. But the variables themselves are very limited. So let me give you a very simple example. How many of you heard the concept of an apple a day keeps a doctor away? And now you've seen that phrase used in so many different ways, like a glass of wine is good for your health. Whatever those things are, it's a fascinating point to make because everybody tends to use those kind of phrases for marketing purposes. But in reality, the human being and their health has so many different influences. There's absolutely no way that one single variable, one single input, whether it's a glass of wine, an apple, or some you know, food group, right, is going to really be a complete influence on that human being. Okay, so when we look at the behaviorist approach, 
people tend to see, okay, that person did this, or that person ate this to be healthier, or that person took this action to achieve this success. But in reality, you're not that person. It's almost impossible for any human being to replicate that behavior exactly as the person that did it in the past. To make it more complex, the people you work with, the people involved in any situation is very different from other leaders' success situation, right? So you have situations that are different. You have people involved that are different, and you're very different. You have different value sets. You have different experiences. Why do we always try to copy the behavior of someone else? That's the content side. When we look at the contextual side, education is a foundation for any society to advance. When we were in the Stone Ages, we needed to learn how to make fire and how to make spears to survive. Fast forward to today, what are we learning? How are we learning things? In the context of learning, one of the challenges is what I call diminishing content. When you ask many people that graduated from a program, whatever program it is, let's take a bachelor program, ask yourself, how much do you remember from your bachelor program? How much do you remember from a certificate program that you simply took? Currently, it's fascinating to see what's going on in the upskilling world. Everybody's talking about the phrase upskilling. There are so many certificates out there. Different universities are giving out free content, and then you pay for that certificate. People are building walls of certificate about emotional intelligence. I have a certificate in that. But when you look at it, do they really possess the skills? Do you really possess that knowledge that you can recall and use in an effective way? From an educational perspective, the context of education has been trapped into pushing information at people. Every time you look at any kind of education, the marketing looks great, but very few actually measure the outcomes of what that training was supposed to be. Did it improve the skills? Did it actually solve the problem? That's going to be the biggest challenge in education. The context of that box is that everyone seems to accept the fact that pushing information is good enough. Getting a certificate is good enough. Very few people are requiring and demanding educators, whether you're a university, whether you're a training company, to quantify the skills as outcomes. As an educator, I've been working in many, many universities across different parts of the world, and I've seen some commonly best practices, I've seen some challenges, and I've seen some consistent threats, especially in social sciences and business schools. What's being pushed is a lot of content, new theories, new concepts. Sometimes the concepts are limited, but a lot of it is limited on behaviorist approaches from a content perspective, and how it's given to people is purely in pushing information and very, very low recall, and even worse, in actual skills being developed. This is why when you see some global companies, they're actually coming out and saying, hey, we don't really need a bachelor degree anymore for you to apply to our jobs anymore because they've not seen the value of the graduates coming out. Are they really possessing the skills? So even myself, having gone through various programs, when I look at my engineering degree, when I look at my MBA degree, how much do I remember and how much am I applying? It wasn't really until I got in my first doctorate that I start to realize education shouldn't be about pushing information. Education should be about how we retain information, 
how we can apply it when it's needed and make it part of us, and how we see the specific results coming out of that new application so that we can continue to learn within a system of learning. That's the key in education. So the next time you look at any training content, you look at any training course or any company that's providing some educational piece, ask them to be accountable to the knowledge retained and the skills. It's never about a certificate. Let's look at another context of learning, the source of knowledge. Most people will look at that from a textbooks perspective or articles that you may read. Today, we have a lot of podcasts, a lot of articles, endless amount of information on the web. Does any of it help you learn and redevelop who you are and your key skills? If you look at the success rates, when you look at any publisher, the books, all they talk about is how many books are sold. Short-term revenues. Does any book come out and say, hey, here is the impact that my readers are achieving? If we're really looking at it from a learning lens and how many people were impacting, how many people have learned and transformed their lives based on the contents of that book, isn't that what we're really all about? Now, I'm specifically talking about people who are looking at books from a learning perspective. From an entertainment perspective, that doesn't really matter. It's just taking the amount of time and engaging some interesting emotions. So if you're looking to learn and grow, any book you pick up, it is not about how fast you read through a book. I often tell people, when I read a book, a good book takes me two, three years, sometimes longer to read. Because every few pages, there's something practical that I want to go apply in my life. And I take that little nugget out of that book. I put it into my learning system, say, okay, I'm going to learn this piece by applying it in my life and with these people in this way. At the end of that week, I measure the outcome of how I applied it and what it's done for me, whether it's generating new business, whether it's build more trust, build more respect, whatever the outcome is, I'm going to do my best to measure that so that I have that emotional attachment to that piece of information. And then I go read a few more pages. A good book takes me a long time to not just digest, but apply and make it part of me. I've heard so many people talk about, oh, I, I, you know, I read 20, 30 books a, a year, or how many leadership books they've read. I often ask them, so your last book, how much did you remember? How much did you apply? If you don't apply it, you're going to forget about it. And this kind of goes back to the basis of how we learn as adults especially working executives, we should all have a learning system in place that helps us move forward. Otherwise, we get trapped with old skills, old knowledge that sooner or later becomes out of date. In today's world, everybody's talking about adaptability, ability to adapt to change, especially with the pandemic. But in that concept, adapting requires a certain level of skills and knowledge that is fresh and that is transformative at all times. Whatever skills you have today may work for you today, but it may not work for tomorrow. So focus on learning, not in how many articles you read, how much information you consume. It's not about the information consumption, but it's about taking that the nuggets out of that information and applying it to your life. When you look at that aspect, if you want to learn more about it, there's tremendous amount of information 
about neuroscience and educational psychology that helps us understand how the human brain learns and how we can take information, make that into knowledge so that it's part of us and then develop those skills. That's the key from a learning perspective. So if we're applying neuroscience, take learning as a holistic process that is a synthesis of what you know already and new information. Within our brain, for us to learn something new, it has to be a construction between what you already know and the new information. Too often, people simply pick up an article or a book or any kind of new information and start reading it. But if you have a preconceived notion of what do I know first about this topic, about this skill, understand where you're at and then acquire that new information and then start putting it together. Figure out a way to apply it. That's how your brain is going to develop that new neurons so that you can connect with your thinking and your ability to use that knowledge. Any kind of learning could help you perceive reality in a different way. You've heard many people talk about the perceptions of realities from a leadership perspective. Leaders perceive reality quite differently than those who are simply managers. Learning influences how we think and make decisions. And then at the end of that, how we behave according to those decisions. The behavior side often is latter, the visible side. But from a learning perspective, the perception of reality and your thought process is the first two steps to explore. Now, if we apply education psychology and system thinking, two other big concepts here. Learning should be an integrated system that looks at all aspects of life, never in a silo like a traditional educational system. Right? In traditional education, when you go into any kind of a workshop, when you go into any kind of university class, it tends to be isolated. Right? Whatever course you're learning, you're given case studies, you're given all these different tools that's supposed to help you learn, but it's very disconnected from your life, and it's very generic. We tend to call that the cookie-cutter approach. So many forms of education is a cookie-cutter approach because it's profitable. Once I create the content, I can push it at every single person and make as much money as possible. It works great for a capitalistic society. But from a learning perspective, it doesn't work very well because it doesn't know who you are and what you need. So if we're applying systems thinking and educational psychology, we have to create a system where you apply a good understanding of who you are, what you know about whatever you're trying to learn, attaching some new information to that so that you create something new from a practice perspective so you can go experiment with something new and really make that work for you. And it takes a lot of massaging and takes a lot of accountability and courage to do something different and to be different. Looking at the system of learning is something that you're responsible for. If you're a leader in your family, if you're a leader in your team, in your company, wherever you are, you're responsible for your own learning. You have to create that system so that it can work for you. It's not about reading number of books. It's not about watching a TED talk or anything like that. All that is short-term memory. Your, your brain will process it, and then soon after that, you will forget it if you don't do anything about it. So as we look at this podcast, my goal is to help you create new ways to empower yourself. It is all about self-empowerment and also 
possibly creating systems within organizations so that you can create that learning system for your entire company that every single person can grow systemically without a doubt. The box of learning that we've been talking about is a significant force that limits the growth of any leader. We spend billions each year in our universities and professional development courses. Most of us can't even calculate how much time is spent in those courses and workshops, reading materials, doing assignments. How much are we really able to retain and practically use when the need is there? That's going to be the ultimate question when it comes to learning. So in the beginning of this podcast, I started with challenging the statement, think outside the box. Education has made many incremental changes inside various boxes. In the pandemic, it was forced to make some more, but still, there were incremental changes. Lecturing at people, whether in person or in recorded videos, will always have limited amount of recall. And it has no consideration for the listener's needs or the ability to comprehend and retain that information. Inside a box, a new way to learn to think differently is nearly impossible. To eliminate the box completely, I've created a global university in 2017. A university that integrates learning into daily activities so that it's profoundly practical. A university that develops people's perception of reality and thought processes through working with their emotional intelligence and systems thinking capabilities in a long-term development system. You can find out more at tc-university.org. Moving forward, let's look at how you can break the box in how you perceive reality, how you think about information, how you create emotions based on your ex expectations, your goals, and your senses, and how you create new innovations to make life better for yourself, your teams, and your family. So applying the principles that we've just talked about, I will leave you with one thought that you can take action on. If we're looking to apply what you've just learned, every single day, jot down or talk to someone about what you have learned. Hold yourself accountable to learning. If you're a leader of a team, ask the question to your peers and to your team members. What did you learn today? Instead of the, hi, how's it going? Or how's the game? Change that conversation. Ask people what they have learned today, what challenges they've overcome, but really focus on what they have learned. So you generate the conversation of learning as a team. Do this for yourself in your journal, with your family members, have people hold you accountable to asking you that question at the end of each day so that you have to consciously think about what did I learn today? How did I improve? The more you do that, the more you become empowered. Thank you for listening to Break the Box. Our next episode, we'll look at the golden rule of respect.